Welcome to Red Pill Revolution. My name is Austin Adams. Red Pill Revolution started out with me realizing everything that I knew, everything that I believed, everything I interpret about my life is through the lens of the information I was spoon-fed as a child. Religion, politics, history, conspiracies, Hollywood, medicine, money, food, all of it. Everything we know was tactfully written to influence your decisions and your view on reality by those in power. Now, I'm on a mission. A mission to retrain and re-educate myself to find the true reality of what is behind that curtain. And I'm taking your ass with me. Welcome to the revolution. Hello and welcome to Red Pill Revolution. My name is Austin Adams, and this is the second episode of Red Pill Revolution. So excited to share this topic with you guys. It's been something that I've been researching and looking into for, oh geez, I don't know, months, months now I've been looking into this. Um, I've actually wrote recently wrote a research paper on it, which uh, makes it even more interesting to talk about today and bring you some of the uh, scholarly advice that uh, I found myself when researching it. So, um, Without further ado, let's talk about it. Uh, this week's episode is on secret societies and the founding of a nation. And this might be one that you're familiar with. It might not be. So if it's not something you're familiar with, it's crazy, crazy to find out some of the more uh, in-depth, unknown history of our founding fathers and the ideals that they left behind, uh, some of which weren't their own. They were actually a part of these secret societies like Freemasonry. And so to start us off, I'm actually going to read uh, a little excerpt from my research paper uh, that I think will get us into a pretty uh, interesting conversation about this topic. But before we do that, I need you to do this one little thing for me. I need you to like and subscribe to this channel. I need you to share this to whoever you know. And I need you to go to ichoose.red. .com is for losers. ichoose.red. And sign up for my newsletter. I'm going to be keeping you guys updated. I'm going to be pushing out all of the articles that I referenced there. I'm going to be putting out a weekly newsletter about the topics that we discuss. And it will keep you updated moving forward. I appreciate you guys so much. Like, subscribe, share. Let's start this revolution together. Statues all over the country idolize our founding fathers as though they were the gods of the Greek. When we think of these figures in American culture, we think of noble, intelligent, wealthy men who manifested freedom from oppression with sheer will. But the truth of where they got those ideologies from and uh, where they got their ideas from is even more interesting than that. Many of the belief systems and actions that these founding fathers took were the result of well-planned uh, decisions made in the shadows of these secret societies. Freemasons, Sons of Liberties, and Rosicrucians were among the most prominent secret societies of the early founding of our nation. And they planned, played a hand in directing, uh, directly taking action against the British monarchy and eventually leading to 
the war with them. Although, as the name suggests with these secret societies, um, it's somewhat hard and difficult to really extrapolate the effect uh, that they had or really know the true effect of what they had on our, our nation or our country as a whole. Uh, so a lot of it you kind of have to piece together yourself. But even with the knowledge that we have of these people, you know, what little knowledge we have compared to what maybe the real truth and history of these secret societies are, uh, still leads us to believe the impact that they had on our country is tremendous. So, of the men who signed the Declaration of Independence, I believe there was 56 of them, 13 of them were Freemasons. Six of them were Sons of Liberty, and one of them, at least, was a Rosicrucian. That one being, uh, interesting enough, uh, Benjamin Franklin himself. But, uh, so, to name some of those uh, signers of the Declaration of Independence, you'd think of people like uh, George Washington, a very prominent uh, Freemason who actually was the head of a lodge himself, um, Thomas Jefferson, Samuel Adams, uh, James McHenry, John Hancock, all Freemasons. Now, when you think of that in today's light, when you think of Freemasons, a lot of what people think today is like old dudes sitting in a, a I don't know, a banquet hall and, uh, you know, just shooting the shit together and networking and, you know, going to charity events. And that's not what it used to be. Freema that's not what Freemasonry is, or at least that's not what it was. And the impact that this, so let's, let's go back. So when you think of our country, you think of, you know, 1776, um, our, our country was founded. They wrote the declaration of independence or the articles of confederation, and we became our own nation away from Britain. But, but prior to that, we, we still had people migrating here from all over the, the world, right? The Canada ended up being settled by primarily the French, uh, Mexico being settled primarily by the Spanish, and then the colonies eventually leading throughout the entirety of the continent of uh, what is today's United States of America uh, was founded by mostly Europeans. So um, people came over here from Britain early prior to 1776 and established Freemasonry and interwove, interwoven it <laughs> into the fabric of what the colonies ended up being. So th they established themselves in very high up levels of, of politics and they established lodges. Actually, Benjamin Franklin himself was a part of establishing the very first lodge of Freemasonry in uh, the early colonies. Um, so basically, they came over here from Great Britain, and they, they, they had this ideology, this idea in mind that they were going to spread, that they wanted a nation away from what Great Britain was, Great Britain being uh, basically ran by a monarchy, which is based on royal bloodlines and the Catholic Church. Simple enough, right? So they wanted to get away from, they wanted to find a secular nation, a nation away from Catholicism. And once you uh, look a little bit more into Freemasonry and the rituals and the religious aspects of it and, you know, some of that, you can start to piece a little bit of these things together. But one thing that really helped me piece this together was Samuel Adams' letter to Thomas Jefferson, which he basically 
Um, I don't want to paraphrase Samuel Adams, so let me see if I can find the quote for you. Um, but he basically said that the, let's see here, the Kabbalistic church, being the Catholic church, was uh, a monster that was uh, going, th- basically, well, let's get the exact quote. But he called Catholicism in the Catholic Church a monster to Thomas Jefferson uh, or Benjamin Franklin, which can only lead us to believe that the ideas of Freemasonry also aligned with that belief system. Um, But he said that Kabbalistic Christianity, which is Catholic Christianity, in a letter to Benjamin Franklin, sorry, not Thomas Jefferson, Kabbalistic Christianity, which is Catholic Christianity, and which has prevailed for 1,500 years, has received a mortal wound, of which the monster, Samuel Adams, founding father of our country, calling the Catholic Church a monster, the monster must finally die, yet so strong in his constitution that he may endure for centuries before he expires, which we still see, obviously, holding true today. So the idea was that they were coming here from Britain and they wanted to get away from the idea and and away from the reaches of the Catholic Church and the British monarchy, right? The British monarchy being made of longstanding royal bloodlines. And so what they did is they came here, they established themselves very early on in the founding of this country and they got very prominent men, men like George Washington, men like Thomas Jefferson, men like Samuel Adams, all to be a part of this organization to share their belief systems and spread them through the politics of our country. And so it all started there. They wanted to get away from the British monarchy. And so once you start to piece these little pieces together, what it overwhelmingly looks, what the theme of this looks to be is the, you know, a lot of people will point to Freemasonry and uh, Rosicrucianism and Illuminati and say that they're Satanists or that they worship the devil and they do these crazy dark magic rituals and uh, a lot of that's true. And But one thing that doesn't really touch on is the idea that uh, it's a difference in religious ideology. It's not that these people are like sitting there worshiping the red man who is the evil of all the world. No, they, they have a different perspective on the same stories told within the Bible. And the perspectives that they hold are that the God that the Catholic Church praises and uh, loves Yahweh is an evil God and a God who uh, in part put his wrath on humanity when you know he flooded the, the world and uh, let, let Noah uh, bring all of the people on the you know the people and the animals onto his boat to re- restart the world over basically and so they, they believe that that that's an evil God and that he shunned his angel, son, Lucifer, uh, who's the real good God. And it's, it's really interesting. I, I don't know enough about it to really get too deep into it. But to me, it's a difference in ideology. It's it's not that they're, you know, mostly all black wearing red horns. And, you know, there is some deep, dark, satanic, ritualistic shit that they do. Um, but for them, it's the, for the good of humanity, right? Abraham or uh, George Washington himself, 
uh, said that to enlarge the sphere of social happiness is worthy of the benevolent design of a Masonic institution, uh, continuing on to say that the grand object of Masonry is to promote the happiness of the human race. So they believe they're the good people, right? They believe they're getting us away from the monarchy. They believe they're getting us away from the British clergy, who was, you know, obviously, if you look at some of the evil British monarchs like Vlad the Impaler, we'll get into that later too. If you're in in the in the know, you know why. That's a really interesting topic to touch on. Um, but they wanted to get away from the British monarchy and establish a new country under the belief systems of Freemasonry and the Freemasonry being interwoven with the religious aspects of Rosicrucianism and uh, the idea of alchemy and dark magic and rituals and symbolism. And uh, But one person that you'll see kind of woven into this early storyline of the colonies and Rosicrucianism and secularism and Freemasonry also being attributed to as one of the, the founding fathers of Freemasonry. And uh, it was Sir Francis Bacon. And Sir Francis Bacon is, is, a, is a really interesting, uh, there's a lot of clouds surrounding uh, or, or smoke around this man's life. He's attributed to being the real writer of Shakespeare. Um, he was the editor of the King James Version of the Bible. So once you realize that Sir Francis Bacon, and this will all kind of play into each other, it might seem like some crazy uh, yarn uh, on a wall string shit, and it is, so give me a minute. Uh, uh, but Sir Francis Bacon uh, basically... Um, is allegedly the uh, bastard son of Queen Elizabeth. And when he was given to the Bacon family, she uh, gave him um, a lot of mentorship and made sure that he was well taken care of. And so she sent uh, James D with him to be his uh, mentor. And basically they allowed him to, they basically made it so he learned all of these languages. He learned seven, he could speak seven languages fluently, including Greek and Latin. And, uh, but he also was a part of the team of people who edited the King James Version of the Bible, which is very interesting to touch on when you understand that he's also attributed to starting and founding Rosicrucianism and being one of the prominent founders of Rosicrucianism, which is a... Uh, I dark black magic alchemic belief system interwoven with Jewish Kabbalism and uh, so basically the, the the very the most prominent version of the Bible that you'll see when you walk into almost all the churches that you know today is going to be the King James version of the Bible and that version of the Bible was edited right and when you think about how things are translated. You watch a show, watch Squid Games, and you'll see the difference between the subtitles and what they say in the dub version is much different. And because the direct translation and the translation of what the story they're trying to tell within the English language are going to be different. And that's based on cultural reflections, right? And what they think Americans might like to see compared to uh, Koreans and how we tend to phrase things in, in our thought processes. So when you control the language of the Bible, you control 
the perspective of the Bible and what the point of those stories are. And then also within the writing of the Bible, which is the same Bible that you'll find in every single Freemason lodge is the King James Version of the Bible, which was edited by Sir Francis Bacon. Um, I don't know. I tend to call him Sir for some reason, like I, you know, I'm his royal subject. <laughs> uh, but he edited the King James Version of the Bible. He also founded Rosicrucianism, is the one of the main founders of the uh, Freemasonry, and is widely uh, thought to, in the conspiracy world, be have reincarnated himself so basically died off and came back as an enlightened being but basically faked his own death and came back as saint germain and saint germain is believed uh to have been present at the time of the signing of the declaration of independence almost uh being the puppet master and uh, making sure everything went over smoothly and when people had uh doubts about things would would stand up and talk about it in a way that everybody agreed with. And so um, in, in another side note to that is once you realize that every single person that was in the signing of the Declaration of Independence, had they been found and caught, it was treason. They were committing illegal acts. And so once you realize that they were, you know, felons in today's world, it's, it's not too far off to understand that they were a part of these secret societies and use their belief systems to push the ideologies of them and, and weave them into the fabric of our American society today. So one of the things that's interesting to note about Freemasonry, besides the fact that almost 33% of the signers of the Declaration of Independence uh, were a part of it, um, is that the very first third party, you know, one of the biggest problems with our political system, and I think most people would agree with this today, one of the biggest problems that we have is the two-party system. It's the craziest, you know, it, um, you know, the two-party system that we have is the top three things I would say is the problem with our political system today, but you know, maybe between lobbying and, uh, those would be the top two, at least, uh, lobbying, commercial lobbying and the two-party system, right? So the two-party system was all well and dandy and fine, I guess, once George Washington died and left Thomas Jefferson as his successor and Thomas Jefferson and uh, Alexander Hamilton basically hated each other and founded the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists was the very first to split off and become a two-party system. And then later on, around the 1840s, after Freemasonry basically took up the entirety of our political sphere, it's like said that 22 of 24 seats of uh, the Senate or Congress are basically held by Freemasons at a single given time. And what ended up happening, it was there was this, this man who was uh, kind of a uh, degenerate, according to the public of the time, <laughs> um, but Captain William Morgan. And Captain William Morgan was going to write a book on uh, alongside this uh, editor of a newspaper. And he was going to write a book about Freemasonry and the evils of Freemasonry of the time and the rituals that they do and the satanic uh, craziness behind closed doors. And as a result of that, within weeks... Um, Freemason showed up at his door and knocked on his door and they took him to jail for the uh for basically a long-standing loan for a shirt and tie that he had 
and then once that basically fell through, they didn't keep him. Um, they brought him back to jail for a $2.65 debt that he owed. So Captain William Morgan had Freemasons knocking at his door because he th was going to write this book about their satanic rituals. And they brought him to jail once. It didn't work. They brought him to jail a second time. It started to stick. And then they bailed him out. So Freemasons showed up at the jailhouse, bailed him out for his uh, debt of $2.65, threw him in the back of a chariot to the sounds of William uh, Morgan yelling murder. And he was never seen again. And this was like widely known that he was going to publish this. The, pu the public in general was like really looking forward to this publication. And were, there was a lot of hysteria around the Freemasons at the time because it wasn't very widely known about this society until he was going to write about it. And when he was going to write about it, uh, he got kidnapped and murdered and was never heard from again. But what that caused was more hysteria. And what that caused them to do was realize... So basically what happened is the people that were allegedly had kidnapped and murdered William Morgan, uh, got anywhere from a month in jail to two years in jail. And they thought that that was an injustice in and of itself. The people, the general public of the colonies did. And they realized that it's true that the Freemasons do basically did take over politics and were untouchable because you can kidnap and murder somebody in broad daylight and get a month in jail. Uh, Side note, interesting side note, uh, William Morgan's wife later went on. So the person who was going to go to speak out on Freemasonry, whose husband was captured and killed as a result of it, later went on to marry Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism or the Church of the Latter-day Saints, which has a lot of interwoven Freemason symbolism, beliefs, rituals, uh, just a side note, don't know too far into that connection yet, but I'm going to be looking into it. But anyways, um, the back to the founding of our very first third political party. So what happened after that was uh, the within five months of him being captured and killed and these people getting off and basically getting a month for murdering William Morgan, uh, the Thurlow Weed and John Quincy Adams... Uh, started uh, the third party, the Anti-Masons. The Anti-Masonists was the very first third party of the United States. The very first third political party in the United States was a direct response to a secret society with satanic rituals. So... They founded this third party and they went after uh, Andrew Jackson. Andrew Jackson being a, a real th interesting gangster uh, president of the time. Um, but uh, John Quincy Adams, immediately preceding the time that he was in office, said as a result of this, during the anti-Masonic movement, which he started to found himself, said, I do conscientiously and sincerely believe that the order of Freemasonry if not the grandest, is one of the grandest moral and political evils under which the union is now laboring, a conspiracy of the few against the equal rights of the many. Masonry ought forever to be abolished. It is wrong, essentially wrong, a seed of evil which can never produce any good. 
John Quincy Adams being the cousin of Samuel Adams, a Freemason. Uh, John Quincy Adams being a son of Patriots. But uh, that will lead us into basically, you know, if there's anything that you can take from this entire show today, it's that if there's going to be a prominent third party, which they never actually won anything, um, but if there was going to be any prominent third party in the United States against Republicans and Democrats, it's going to probably take the kidnapping and murder of a man who's about to... Uh, write a book about alleged secret societies and cults that all of our politicians are about. Uh, so the future looks bleak for the two party system. Now let's talk a little bit about the sons of Liberty. The sons of Liberty was founded originally by the loyal nine, the loyal nine being some prominent members in Boston at the time. And they realized that in order to kind of spread their philosophy, they would need the help of more members. They couldn't just have nine people anymore. And so they recruited the likes of Samuel Adams. Samuel Adams being a prominent member of the Masons and also being a very good networker. And so they recruited Samuel Adams and uh, some of the very well-known events of the Sons of Liberty that you would know are the Boston Tea Party is the abolishing of the Stamp Act. Uh, two things that directly led to the revolution against the British monarchy. Now, if you think about what the Sons of Liberty actually did, is they did the bidding of the Freemasons. They were the arm of the Freemasons that a lot of people, they basically, they met in the same place as the Freemasons. They met in a, a tavern called the Green Dragon. And the Masons would meet on top and the Sons of Liberty would meet in the bottom floor. Um, so to think that they didn't intermingle completely and have very similar ideologies is silly. Samuel Adams was a part of both of them. Actually, a lot of the members of the Freemasons were a part of also the Sons of Liberty. And so the Sons of Liberty... Uh, let's talk about the Stamp Act. The Stamp Act was a, basically a, a taxation by the British on the colonists saying that any piece of paper that you have basically needs to get a stamp mark from from our stamp and we're going to make money off of it. So every transaction, every uh, any transactional thing that was happening, any um, legal thing that was happening had to go through the British monarchy. They had to get a stamp of approval. Um so what the Sons of Liberty did is they basically dragged anybody who said that they were going to enforce this or going to be one of the, the people who give, gave the stamps, dragged them in the street, tarred and feathered them publicly. They were gangsters, the Sons of Liberty, gangsters. They also went on to dump some 300 uh, barrels of tea into the ocean of the, uh, what is it? The Indian, uh, the East Indian trade company. And so the sons of Liberty were just, just doing all sorts of illegal shit constantly to push the ideology of these Freemasons and to start this revolution against the British clergy, um, and against the, uh, Vatican and the Catholic Pope. Right. And we go back to that Samuel Adams letter where he calls Catholicism a monster that needs to be eradicated. So another interesting part of this Freemasonry is all of the symbolism in the Rosicrucians is all the symbolism that was woven into the early fabric of our country. Uh, take out a dollar bill right now and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. You'll flip it over and you'll see not only the all-seeing eye on the back of the top of the pyramid, the pyramid itself being a symbolism of, of Freemasonry, um, but you'll also see uh, 
the the seal, the uh, eagle, as it were, and the eagle being our, our, you know, the symbol of freedom. And the eagle actually comes from, allegedly, Benjamin Franklin being a part of the early commissioned group to come out with our seal. And uh, they originally came to him with the uh, they originally came to him with a phoenix, which was a Rosicrucian belief system coming from the chemical wedding, the third part of that book series released by the Rosicrucians. Um, and the Rosicrucian chemical wedding book goes into uh, basically this crazy story of this man who gets pulled into this, uh, you know, Rosicruz himself being pulled into this forest and there being four tablets on trees. And I'll try to summarize this pretty quickly. Um, but he, he, each four symbolizing a different path that he can take. And uh, basically what ends up happening is a, a white bird falls in front of him. A raven comes to kill the, the bird and they both fly off and he runs after him, passed down one of these tablets and he doesn't pick his way specifically, um, but finds himself on this path. And next thing you know, he's, uh, you know, a part of this, basically this uh, ritualistic, uh, weird, uh, almost cultish uh, ritual where the, this royal family dies and they're supposed to do this every however often. And what they do is they take all the, they bring in all these people and uh, what they do is they take this uh, egg and the egg hatches and turns into a phoenix. And the phoenix has to be fed the blood of these royal uh, family members who are dead in the other room. And as a result of it drinking this royal blood, it gets bigger and faster and bigger and bigger and bigger uh, until eventually it turns into this uh, white being, you know, this white, um, beautiful phoenix. And uh, the the royal family comes back alive as a result of drinking, you know, the, the phoenix drinking the blood of these royal family members. And so basically this occultist satanic ritual on the... the uh, ability to bring people back from the dead. And so Benjamin Franklin, being a practitioner of Rosicrucianism, um, was a part of making this symbol for the country. And when commissioned to do so, they originally brought him the phoenix and said, this should be it. We are, we are you know, coming from the ashes and turning into this new great na nation, the new Atlantis, and the phoenix would be the perfect symbol to symbolize this new country. Um, the New Atlantis being, you know, uh, the second book written within the Rosicrucian um, books released and uh, being this ideology behind showing up, interestingly enough, the new world showing up at a, a uh, distant world and uh, the world being one where everybody believes all these Rosicrucian beliefs and it's just this utopia. And uh, so under the belief system of Benjamin Franklin and Rosicrucianism, the phoenix was the perfect symbol to symbolize the new world. And the only way that they could convince um, the head, the person who was making these decisions to uh, do it was by making it look enough like an eagle. And uh, so they shifted the symbol from being directly a, a phoenix to something that symbolized what that phoenix was, the eagle really symbolizing that phoenix from the Rosicrucian uh, second part of that book, or third part of the book, The Chemical Wedding. Um, so... There's where that comes from. Now, this the next really interesting part of symbolism comes from the idea of the Statue of Liberty. The Statue of Liberty coming uh, from three French artists, those three French artists, all three of them being Freemasons, and uh, made this uh, Statue of Liberty uh, behind the goddess of Libertas and 
gave it as a gift to the United States for freeing themselves from the British clergy, from the British monarchy, and establishing this new world, the new world of the Freemasons, ran by the Freemasons, ran by the Rosicrucianism belief system and ideology woven into the fabric of all these societies. And that is where we find ourselves today. Uh, you know, interestingly enough, uh, George Washington, at the time, you know, you've heard of, I'm going to say, so swallow me, swear on the Bible. George Washington, at the time that he was being inaugurated as the president, uh, said and sent somebody back to the Mason's Lodge. Uh, sent somebody back to the Mason's Lodge to get a Bible because according to Freemason belief systems, when you swear on an oath, you have to swear over the King James Version of the Bible. And so they send somebody to get the Bible puts his hand over it and swears on it. That same Bible today is held uh, in a um, some historical exhibit. And it's only been used a few times in history again. And uh, several of those times being, uh, let's see, George Washington Bible. The several times that it's been used throughout history uh, was also used by other people who were a part of Freemasonry, or at least an offshoot of it. The other inaugurations and appearances where it made its showing was by Warren G. Harding, by Dwight Eisenhower, by Jimmy Carter, by George H.W. Bush, and was also going to be done by George W. Bush. So it's interesting to note that George W. Bush and George H.W. Bush were Skull and Bones members from Yale, which was founded by an early uh, German uh, belief to be a Freemason. So spreading the belief systems into the academic societies of our country uh, to further seed them into the high-level institutions that would then make up the powerful elite that we know today. Uh, so Harding, Eisenhower, Carter were all Freemasons. Bush and Bush Jr. were skull and bones. So interesting to note that the only people ever used Whoever used George Washington's Bible, the Masonic Bible, the King James Version of 1767, uh, I believe, yep, dated 1767, was fellow secret society members. So once you look into the fabric of our country, once you realize the founding fathers, the events that took place, the ideology that was spread, all comes from secret societies. It all stems from the writings of Rosicrucianism and it all intersects to turn into what we know today as liberty and freedom. And it all comes from the ideologies that were spread through these secret societies themselves. Uh, you know, a lot of, of what people think about these early societies were they are satanic ritualistic cults. Now it's hard to find a lot on that, but it is easy to find the actions and the letters of these people who founded our country. And once you look into that deeper, uh, I believe personally that we were founded by the Freemasons and Rosicrucianism. And you can see that easily interwoven into the fabric of today's society. And then what happened at some point, and this is pure speculation, <laughs> what happened at one point is that uh, the Masons wanted to dilute their society and uh, because it had become too big, the, the anti-Mason, right after that anti-Masonic movement, that third party uh, political party that came out, they lost a lot of uh, popularity amongst the people after, you know, William Mor Morgan uh, was captured and killed. 
uh, and it was brought into the light of the public, they lost a lot of members. A lot of lodges shut down and closed down. So what I believe happened is that they wanted to dilute the idea of Freemasonry and they wanted to take the ideologies and the, the, the real members and put them into different positions in different organizations and spread the ideology through new organizations with the same belief systems and dilute the Freemasons completely into a bunch of old men who wear these silly looking robes and like to give money to charity and, you know, what we know as the Masons today. But that's pure speculation. I have no fucking idea if what I'm talking about is true there. Um, or, you know, just check everything I say and be on the safe side. But <laughs> but there is your story and a little bit of the understanding on how our country was founded by the ideologies of these early practitioners of secret satanic ritualistic cults. And I hope you enjoyed some of that today. Um, and uh, I hope you learned something. If you have any questions, go ahead and comment. As always, find me on social media. Go ahead and subscribe to this video right here below. Uh, find me wherever you have podcasts and share this with all your friends. Um, I love doing this for you guys. I love talking about these topics. And I look forward to bringing some guests on. Uh, so uh, thank you so much for joining me. Have a great day.